Welcome to the One Woman Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Kirbanu, and this is the place where you'll hear stories, insights, and strategies from inspirational women around the world to give you the confidence needed to pursue your creative passion as a business. I'm so excited to introduce my guest for you today. Amanda is the widely loved blogger behind the food, travel, and lifestyle blog, Moroc Mama. She quit her day job to focus on building a thriving online business. And since doing so, she's won a string of awards, including features in CNN International and National Geographic. On relocating her family to Morocco eight years ago, she founded a highly successful food tour company whose passion is to give you true cultural experiences that stay with you long after your vacation has finished. I'm so excited to have you here, Amanda. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Um, as I've said to you, I find your story and your life incredibly interesting and really inspiring. And I'm really grateful that you took the time to be with us today. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm very happy to be here. I hope that I can live up to expectations. <laughs> oh, no expectations. No expectations. Yeah. Expe- let's, let's throw those out the window. We can throw them in. We can throw them into the sand dunes in uh, in Morocco. Sounds good. <laughs> so you are a self-employed American female, of course, uh, living in Morocco, and you're self-employed with a number of different businesses that you're in charge of and responsible for. But the first thing that I'm really curious about is how in the heck did you end up living in Morocco? Well, this is a bit of a bit of a, a long tale, but I'll try to give the the quick and dirty version of it. <laughs> Ooh, I like quick and dirty. <laughs> so when I was nineteen, I went to Morocco on vacation with my dad and my younger sister and uh, and her best friend. And on this vacation, I happened to meet uh, the man who is now my husband in a very random happenstance sort of way. And we so we met on this trip. I went back to visit a few months later. We got engaged like within four hours of me landing. Four hours. Four hours. Yeah. Yeah. Engaged. Wow. At 19. At 19. Wasted no time. He was the one. I knew oh, it. Um, wow. <laughs> and uh, then we, we uh, I was still in school, obviously. I was in university. And so moving to Morocco then wasn't really on my wasn't on the agenda. Yeah, it wasn't or... on the agenda. So we did a visa for him to come to the U.S. Okay. And it took it took about a year, I guess, for everything to to process. And then he moved to the U.S. We have two um, two older kids uh, that we had kind of right away. Oh wow. Okay, you are you are fast. You like you're like on that fast lane. Yeah. Well, I I mean the kids those kids were uh, the first one. They weren't really planned. <laughs> um they were (laughs) they were love babies exactly yeah um but you know they should be yeah but then when it was one it was two it's fine it was no big deal so we did that I was finishing school I was working um you know life we just kind of had like the traditional life right like get married have kids work in a corporate you know a regular job you know figuring out life of course when you're an immigrant it's a little bit more complicated so he had a lot of other issues with that um but we always knew we wanted to move back to morocco like we always that was always something that we'd wanted and we thought oh we could kind of do it maybe five years after he came to the u.s or 
maybe six. <laughs> and it turned out to be a little more than nine years until we were able to really do it. Okay. How old were your kids then? So they were six and eight when we moved. And that's a little older than I would have liked them to be because the adjustment was a little bit difficult for them at that age. Um, but yeah, our plan was truthfully to move to Morocco for one year. We said, we want to go to Morocco for one year. We wanted the kids to learn Arabic and French. Um, we wanted them, they have always had like a really good relationship with my family, but they had a limited relationship with my husband's family because time and they couldn't really talk to them. So we thought in a year, you know, kids soak up languages. They learn things so fast. They'll be fluent in a year. (laughs) Ha ha ha. (laughs) <laughs> I'm assuming this ha 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 meant that your uh, expectations were slightly different to reality. Yeah, quite different. You know, we, we, we realized about six months into it, like, I remember we just like looked at each other and we said, they're not going to be ready in a year. Like they're not going to have, they're not going to have learned this. So let's stay another year. And now we're on year five. Okay. Yay. So they're still learning. Well, now I can say like they're fluent in Arabic for sure. Um, French, they're fairly fluent. They don't like French that much. So I think that contributes to it. But Wow, this is amazing. So you moved your family from America to Morocco so your kids can learn like the language of their culture or part of the language of, of their culture. And it was going to be a one-year experience that turned into a five-year, well, an ongoing experience. and that's how you've ended up there. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, many other things happened in between those five years that encouraged us to kind of decide that, that we wanted to stay. But um, that, that was the basic gist of it. It was really for our kids just to learn to learn the languages and that would hopefully benefit them later in life. Wow. It's a little crazy. But, but I think it's a great thing. And I mean, I think this is an amazing thing to think like that and to, to give your children the opportunity for that. Yeah, we definitely hope that they appreciate it one day. I mean, right now they, they, I mean, they're teenagers, so there's a little bit of that angsty business going on um, about why did you do this? Why did you move us here? It's so hard. Everything's easier in America. Everything's better in America. But, oh, wow. um, okay. you know, just imagine teenage years coupled with, you know, that, that all of that baggage. But, you know, they go back and forth. Some days they're fine. They're totally fine. And other days they're like, I hate you. But Oh, wow. Such as I life. mean, I guess that's kind of a teenager thing. Like, I, yeah. I think if you, I mean, maybe you gave, them, you gave them something to complain about in that sense. But I mean, even if you have a perfect <laughs> life and have the perfect, like nobody has a perfect life. But, mm. you know, for example, me living at home in Australia, you know, with my parents, very stable, all of this stuff. Of course when I was a teenager I was just as a teenager so yeah. I think this is quite normal. yeah exactly I think it's actually built into our psychology that we have to repel because it helps us find our own way ah, that's an interesting way of looking at it I'm going to tell myself that yeah. when, when I'm dealing with them be like it's just it's just biology it's not a big it's deal it's biology <laughs> no I actually look into that I read something about it recently I can't remember exactly the reference but I'll have a look for it and send it to you Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so you've shared the experience of, of moving your family so from America to Morocco. But how was it for you adjusting? Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people, I, I get asked this a lot, and a lot of people say, what is it like for a woman to move to Morocco? Um, and the assumption, I think, is that, um, you know, it's a quote unquote Middle Eastern, not not a Middle Eastern country, but it's North African. But uh, <laughs> but it's that that culture. So the assumption is that like, oh, it must be really difficult for you. 
Um, and I always tell people like the hardest part of me moving there with that is like I lost my independence right away. Mm. And it had nothing to do with me being a woman and everything to do with the fact that I couldn't speak the language. Yeah. So I couldn't do the things that you kind of take for granted when you're in your, you know, country where it's your native language or even when you're on vacation somewhere, it's one thing, like if you don't speak the language, but when you're living somewhere, it's a completely, well, like, as I'm sure, you know, um, it's like a completely different thing. Like you can't call the doctor to make an appointment. You can drive a car, but if you get lost, you can't ask for directions. And even if, you know, even if you could ask, you have to be able to understand what the person <laughs> says to you. Um, you know, and simple things like going to the market and buying your groceries and, you know, just really basic, basic things that you kind of take for granted become this whole other complication and mental, like, mind game you know I'd have to like psych myself up to go to the market because I'm like this is going to be really tough like I'm going to have to really use like all my muscles in my brain yeah. and 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 I'm kind of uh, an extroverted introvert like I like being around people but I'm also like don't um, so for me to be put in a situation where I like could be wrong and like somebody could not understand me is a bit unnerving for me um, you know, and in Morocco, it's like this whole other thing. Like if I go to the market, it's like, okay, how much are the carrots today? And I have to have a conversation with each vendor to say like, okay, the carrots are, you know, 10 dirham today, or the carrots are 14 dirham today, you know, whatever. It's not like I can walk, I could necessarily walk, I like could, but like walk into a Carrefour and, uh, you know, supermarket and just see all the prices and pick up the things and really not have to have any kind of conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that <laughs> that was really, really difficult. Um, and the other kind of strange thing is I'm a foreign woman, so I kind of am like a third gender in Morocco almost. Like okay. you have, you know, for men, they're like kind of treated one way and they have these like expectations and ways of being. And if you're a Moroccan woman, then there's like this other set of like, this is kind of what's expected and, and um, way, you know, way of being. But if you're a foreign woman, like you don't necessarily have all the same expectations that a Moroccan woman would have. And you're not a man. So you don't really have all of the, you know, the, the ways available to you that, you know, men are treated and the things that they can do. Mm. So you're kind of like this, like anomaly, like you occupy this third space where you get like <laughs> a little bit of everything, which is good, but is also a bit like, you don't really know what is and isn't really socially acceptable, if that makes sense. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I can imagine that's very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. So every day I just say, you know what, I'm just going to, if I do something wrong, I'm just going to chalk it up to being American yeah. and hopefully, you know, do first and ask for forgiveness later. Yeah. How is it with the language now? Like, have you been able to learn Arabic? Yeah. So now I, um, I say it that I speak enough to get in and out of trouble. <laughs> so I can do the basic things that I need to do um and I can you know if something happens I can get myself out of a situation and um you know I know I can speak enough to be comfortable by myself and traveling and you know if I have to go to the doctor or like when we I just when we just had the baby if I were in the hospital by myself I could talk to the nurses and things like that so yeah completely changes completely changes things 
I absolutely understand. Because, <laughs> <laughs> of course, I mean, coming to Germany, I had I came for love. I had no German uh, experience, and I was living. I wasn't living in a big city when I first came here. I was living in a really small village with about two thousand people, and <laughs> very few of them spoke English. And half of my husband's family doesn't really speak English. Mm -hmm. So that was great on one hand because it was super motivating uh, to try to understand German. But I exactly what you said, I felt my freedom like gone. I really understand that. I mean, I remember not wanting to get on a bus because I was embarrassed because I didn't know how to ask for a bus ticket or mm -hmm. getting like heart palpitations before going to the post office because I was scared because I knew I couldn't express myself um, or calling, you know, like a foreign office or something and having to deal with the foreign affairs office and, you know, trying to understand or going to the tax consultant or going to a doctor or, yeah, yeah this was, or, you know, ordering something in a cafe at, in the very beginning, of course. I really can uh, understand what you mean there. I exactly the same thing happened you know the sense of I don't have my independence I'm completely dependent upon this person yeah it's it's so so hard and in some ways like I think though I tried to see the silver lining in it because it gave me so much more empathy for people in difficult situations like um and and made me reflect on like the ways that I behaved or thought like I can remember the city that we lived in in the U.S. had a lot of refugees from Laos. And um, I can remember being like in the doctor's office and these and thinking like, oh, what a shame that these these kids have to translate for their parents. And then, I, then it happened to me. Like then my kids were translating for me <laughs> one time and I was like, I am that parent. Like I that I am putting, you know, so then it was like, okay. This is the universe telling you, like, look in the mirror. Don't be so judgmental. You never know. You don't know what it's like until you go through it. Wow. I'm reading this, like, really interesting book at the moment. It's called Love is the Absence of Fear. No, lo Love is Letting Go of Fear. Sorry. And it is totally about that. You know, it's about letting go of our judgments. It's about coming from an open-mindedness. It's about recognizing that we don't understand people's backstories when we see them um, right. and instead of just knee-jerk responding from fear which we tend to do it's our human nature you know coming from compassion or coming from the awareness that I don't have all of the information about this person so who am I to judge them for their experience or for what I perceive as their experience so true yeah so true yeah I agree with you I think these challenges that we have as you said, going to a, a new country, a new culture, a new language, although it can be really hard, can also be incredibly strengthening for, for our characters. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So what were you doing? You said you were doing corporate work before when you were in America. What kind of work were you doing? Yeah, so I worked, um, I have a bachelor's degree in international relations. So we actually lived in Washington, D.C., and I worked on Capitol Hill for a little while. Wow. Yeah, I worked with a nonprofit organization. That, so that was, it was cool. It also like completely jaded me and made me think, why did I get my degree in this again? Um, <laughs> but it's okay. It all works out for the best. 
so we did that for a little while. Then I also worked, um, I worked as a grant writer for a while. And, you know, the thing that I found was I worked in a bunch of different fields and I never really like liked it. Mm-hmm. I never really liked working. And it wasn't that I didn't like working. It was that like, I didn't, I like being the boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you start, when you start working in, you know, in a regular job, like you're not going to be the boss for, you know, a long time. So I never really clicked like that whole, the whole thing never clicked, but it was like, this is what you do. This is what you're supposed to do. You, you go to work and you get a paycheck and you get your, you know, whatever, 15 days off a year. And, um, you, you know, you're glad that you get to go home with the paycheck and that just never clicked with me. Um, so I struggled. I I can imagine. I mean, this whole idea of so I have a degree in uh, zoology and ecology, and I actually did a master's in wildlife uh, conservation. Uh-huh. So I was working in an environmental consultancy uh, straight after I finished the master's because exactly for the same thing. I was like, all right, so I've studied. I didn't know what to do. So I studied some more. Right. I did a bit of work experience, met some people, found out about a job they're kind of doing the same job so I'm gonna apply for that job because I guess that's what I should do and then I ended up in this job in this consulting company started doing the work that I thought I should be doing and I quit after three weeks yeah (laughs) like this is not my life I can't do this this is this is not my life no I can't this is there's something wrong (laughs) <laughs> yeah no I I completely understand and I think we had the kids so if I wouldn't have had the kids then I would have been like uh this isn't working like let me figure out something else but at the same time it was like this isn't working but they need to eat so <laughs> so problem yeah like if it was just me whatever but you know I have to feed these little people um yes that adds a entire different realm of uh responsibility of course but, you know, the education system doesn't prepare you to say, like, you know, like we are both of our experiences that, you know, you go to school and then you maybe you go to more school and then you get, you apply for the job and then you just like suck it up and be happy and accept it. You know, like society doesn't say like, hey, you know what, this is not maybe going to work out for you. Like there are other options. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no. You have to fulfill a role that is dictated to you from when you're five. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you heard or read any of Seth Godin's stuff? Yes. Love that man. Yes. Love him so much. I listen to him when I'm at the gym running on the treadmill. It's what gets me through the torture of the 30 minutes of treadmill. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, he says exactly that. He says that we're trained to be factory workers. That's why school evolved and it hasn't changed since that time. We're meant to be cogs in a system. Um, and I think what's really awesome, and maybe maybe because you and I are in our 30s, but like I think what's really awesome for maybe the women in their 20s or the younger generation is that they don't have to. Like that, I think that mentality is really changing now, and that you know we're kind of, I guess, not pioneers, but like at the forefront uh, from an age point of view of that change, of saying no, I don't have to do that. Right. No, I don't want that. Right. No, I could do something else, and if it doesn't work. I can try something else. So true. It's so true because I can think like when I, I just, my 14 year old was having this conversation with my mom actually. um, And he had told her like, Oh grandma, I want to do this. Like, 
he wants to be a wealth management expert, which I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but sounds wow. good. Um, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I don't know, whatever. I can't even add two numbers together. So I don't know where <laughs> he got that from. Um, so he's like, I want to do that. But like, I'm gonna my my side hustle is gonna be this. <laughs> oh, my God. He's a little <laughs> entrepreneur. Listen to that. Yeah, yeah, he totally is. He totally is. But you know, and I think that that's because a, he's seen his mom and dad do it. Like he's seen from the age that he can remember, like mom and dad have different kind of jobs, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. mom and dad's friends have different kinds of jobs. And we've always talked to him about, you know, you got to find something that you like and you got to look for opportunities in the market. And like, you don't have to be, you know, if you want to, uh, he loves being in the woods. So he's like, um, if you want to work in the woods and you have an internet connection, like you can work remotely, you don't have to go sit in an office, you know? So it's being in an environment though, where that's an option. Like I never remember even thinking that when I was his age, like that, that could even be possible. It's so awesome though. I want to like take the moment to acknowledge you guys for that because you guys are like, no, no, because of that work of you as parents making that available to your children and teaching them about that you're like changing the world you're changing the future truly one little step at a time with forced arabic immersion <laughs> but that's all it takes you know it takes every person to do their bit and then we make a, then we make the difference right right yeah it's all i can do if i can raise humans that like go out and do something good and and make a difference and that's all i can ask for yeah, and embrace, like training them to embrace their freedom, to think differently, to be creative. I love that you said we taught them how to look for what they like and, and how there could be opportunities for that in the market. I mean, if we learned this at school, <laughs> the world would look different. <laughs> exactly. Oh Absolutely. God. Absolutely. Yeah. So you guys have been doing your hustle. So, I, of course, when you came to Morocco, you left your work, you left the, the corporate life in America, and then you needed to find your way, I imagine. So how did that unfold? Like, how did that unfold from a, from a holy shit, I need to make money and feed my children point of view? <laughs> so when we moved to Morocco, uh, initially, I was working remotely for an online PR company. Um, and that was fine. And, and it was one of the reasons that we were able to move was because we had enough, um, uh, our budget was enough that we could just get by, right? Like, and we were only going to do it for one year so we could we could make it work. Um, and that was just kind of like what we were going to do. Um, and then we we probably like around the same time that we realized we were going to stay in Morocco, maybe, yeah, about the same time. Uh, my husband and I were sitting in the big square in Marrakesh, the famous famous square that you see in all the pictures um and playing our favorite game of watching tourists uh, <laughs> it's really interesting what you can learn about people <laughs> i'm never going anywhere again no don't do that um but this is where it came from so we're sitting there watching them going into these like restaurants and um eating this stuff like you know that we were like, oh my gosh, don't eat that. Don't go there. No, no, no. Like if you only walked like one street over, like it would be so much better. And I had gotten asked regularly, like where to go and eat in Marrakesh because of my website. Um, but the places that I wanted to tell people to go and eat, like where they could eat really good, authentic Moroccan food, they would like never find because um, for anyone who's never been to Marrakesh, if you're in the Medina, there are, it's like, first of all, it's a maze. Second of all, the streets are 
somewhat labeled at best, but nobody knows the street names. Like if you told somebody the name of a street, they would be like, eh, they probably wouldn't know it. Okay. Um, and, and like the really good places to go and eat, they don't have names. Like they're not like, you know, it's not like Hisham's restaurant. Like it doesn't have a name. Um, so there would be no way to, to tell you how to go. Like, I mean, Google Maps doesn't work. You can't, you can't find these places. So we had done a food tour in Spain and one in the U.S. I can't remember where we had done it before. You were participants in it or you were doing, you were leading it? No, no, no. We were just participating because I love food. Like, so that's my thing. Like, I love food. The only reason I travel is to eat. I don't really care if there's anything else in a place. Like, I just want to eat their food. Um, <laughs> I like that you're clear. Yeah. I'm very, like, you know, if there's a museum next door, I might go check it out. But, like, food is the priority. Um, sorry. Hang on just one second. I'm going to multitask right now. So when we were watching that and we saw these people going to eat there and we said like, gosh, we could show them like really much better places to go and eat, but we have to actually take them to these places. (laughs) (laughs) Baby is eating. So sorry. I hope that he's like not too loud. I think we should sidestep for our listeners to understand. (laughs) How old is your brand new baby, Amanda? He's 11 weeks old. 11 weeks old you have a bit yeah so I'm just going to champion you right now (laughs) Amanda is kind of this superhuman I think actually because you know she has at least two companies that I'm aware of (laughs) (laughs) Um, that we're going to keep talking about that she started leading into which is very cool uh, she has, as you said, like two two teenage boys. Uh, you're an expat living in a foreign country with a different culture and a different language, which is mind-blowing. And you have a brand new baby. Yes. So if you were to start flying, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Man, that would, take, that would be a, take a big chunk out of my budget if I could just fly myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would make going and, and like exploring food in new places really, really cool. Um, so guys... So you're just multitasking at the moment, feeding, feeding. What's your little baby's name? Uh, Adam. Feeding Adam. Okay. So if we hear little goo-gahs, we know why. Yeah. Sorry. That's all right. Just think it's cute. No (laughs) problem. totally cute um cool so we were we were flying around going into eating and you're going into new places and seeing food and sharing that with people and you told us about being in Spain and in America and being on the food tour yeah so we we realized like to do this in Morocco um or to tell people where to go and eat in Marrakesh like we actually had to take them to it and we didn't really we we had wanted to do some sort of a business but we really didn't have a lot of money you know a lot of capital to like start up something that would you know require a lot of you know investment which many businesses do in the beginning Mm. so I said what if we did a food tour what if we like we we only would really have to invest our time and some money to like build a website and you know really basic a really basic platform and like maybe we do one or two tours a week and it would just be enough to kind of pad the budget a little bit help with the kids school fees um Mm -hmm. you know and and we'd get to show people where to go and eat and we get to meet travelers which is like us you know cool people that you know love food and love to be in new places so yeah that was kind of how the idea started and my husband grew up in Marrakesh so he knew a lot of places um and we knew that we wanted to do a walking tour so we kind of just like went through all the things that we knew we wanted and then we started looking we started really like looking to build a route and um 
these different places that we liked that we could take people that would show them like really good Moroccan food, but food that they probably wouldn't find on their own. Yeah. Um, and we decided that we were only going to offer our tours in English because if you speak English, there are some tours, but you can't read a menu if there was a menu. You can't necessarily in these traditional places, you can't necessarily talk to anyone again because of the language issues. So we said, you know, we're only going to do this in English. We're only going to cater to English speaking tourists. And we'll see what happens. Like we, we haven't invest, we didn't invest that much money in it. So if we lost money, you know, if we lost the small investment, we lost the small investment. And by small, I'm, I'm talking like under a hundred dollars. Wow. That's awesome. Starting yeah. up a company with a hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we built the website, put up a, you know, put up the information about it. We'd gone away somewhere after we had put it up and I said oh when we come back I'll work on like you know really getting out there and then I wrote one post on my website around the same time and it was just like what to eat and what to avoid in Marrakesh and it was kind of just like a really general like don't do you know like watch out for this and this are some of our favorite places and whatnot and then at the end of the post I had I talked about our tours a little bit and that we were going to offer this and that people could come and eat with us so we went away, we came home, and there were four reservations. Wow. Already. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, and, and my husband was like, I don't know. I don't know if these are real. Maybe yeah. it's your mom. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but when we looked, they were real. And that was just, and that's how it started. And then it kind of just snowballed from there. We never, you know, I used a couple different like marketing tactics to kind of get it out there. But really, like, I think what contributes to the success is just that we provide a really good product and that it's something that people are really looking for. And it's in an environment that's very difficult for people to navigate alone. Mm. I just want to interject and, and say something here, because uh, so we met on one of your food tours. Yeah. <laughs> And I can say it was insane. It was awesome. It was awesome. Like, you, I really, you really, I, you know, actually, Phil, my husband, he is eat oriented. He loves food. So he needs to passionately explore his way through the food culture of new places. We are avid travelers. We love traveling. And for me, culture and understanding the little elements of what makes a culture take are super important for me so I'm the person that just walks around the markets not to eat anything but because I love the buzz you know like I'm happiest just listening to the buzz mm -hmm. um, and I feel like your tour covered everything you know you took us to amazing food places to eat at really diverse I still remember the goat head going into the underground fire <laughs> um, <laughs> now people are going to be like oh, I'm not going on that tour <laughs> I'm a vegetarian, guys. I didn't eat the goat head, but it's hello. But it's but it's uh, really interesting, you know, uh, to see that that's a part of the life there because it was so authentic. What you took us on was real. It felt like, yeah, this is actually what goes on here. This mm -hmm. isn't going to the fancy place or yeah, it's not fancy at all, is it? <laughs> no, it's real. It's real. But you know, when I'm exploring a new place, that's what I want to see. What's real, right? Um. And and it was so interesting, you know, I still remember eating the olives in the markets. Actually, I made a vlog out of that. There's a vlog on my on my YouTube channel um, about going through the markets with you guys in, in Marrakesh, I remember. Uh -huh. And eating the different foods. The final place we ended up at, exactly as what you said before, it was in the Medina, through some crazy maze of pathways, no signage, two old ladies. It seems like they're the, the kitchen of the grandmas. 
mm-hmm. and they were just standing in the doorway and then they made us this amazing I think it was tagine or something I can't remember yeah, exactly. it was couscous I, I have oh. a my tour is always tagine free because too many tagine for everyone <laughs> well it was an amazing couscous and we had so much fun and yeah that really stuck with me it's a memory that stuck with me from that experience the whole time that we were in Morocco and I think what you just said it has totally been my like ethos in like how we built the business and what I wanted from the business was that I wanted people I had heard so many people who left Morocco and said and myself after the first time I left Morocco too like I never want to eat Moroccan food again like it's terrible because the only food that they had had exposure to was food that the bad food that we were watching the tourists eat (laughs) in the square you know so that was their experience so I was always like I want people to leave Morocco and have had at least one really good food experience and I think the other takeaway is that we wanted it to be like a really low pressure type of thing where people felt like they were going out with friends and Mm. that they had an opportunity to like talk to Moroccan people in a like not sales environment where it was just Mm. like I just want to know about your life and let's share stories and you know just like how you would go out with a friend from another place but those things were are really missing um, yeah. in what's what's available and what's offered so I want people to feel like like friends that they have a positive thing to go home with and that even if the rest of their trip maybe didn't go well I hope that it did go well but even if it didn't that they have like one good memory of what their time was yes and this is something that you say um, also on your blog that you know you want people to connect with other people and place and places on a really authentic level yeah absolutely and that's what you're creating in the tours. I mean, I'm just on your uh, Marrakesh Food Tours homepage. And, you know, it's insane that you say you, you bootstrapped that one with 100 bucks or under 100 bucks and kind of threw something up and had no expectations. And now you've got oh, 325 five-star reviews from TripAdvisor. This is insane. And now you have how many tours? I can see like eight on the website. Yeah, so three of them, three of them are ones that we operate with our guides. And then I've started to um, kind of look for other cool food opportunities that we can kind of work with other vendors who have a similar point of view and who offer something really unique that Mm. we don't really have the time or ability to put together and run, (laughs) run Mm. ourselves, but that, Mm. you know, there are people that, do really good work and offer really good product too it sounds amazing i I have to come back i've been saying i want to go back to morocco to eat the olives Mm -hmm. i still remember the olives Mm -hmm. these olives are the best olives forget italy if you like olives you need to get to morocco i kind of agree (laughs) it's true it's true (laughs) i have to come back and uh and come on another one of your tours there's so much please do but you mentioned that you already had your website up beforehand. So by the website, I'm talking about Moroc Mama, mm-hmm. which is your food blog. It's Can you explain the space for us of your website? Because it's kind of, it's a lot more than just a food blog, actually. Yeah. So, you know, it started out that it was really a food blog. And that was, that was my goal many, many, like 11, 10 or 11 years ago now that it's been a, a long time. Um, and then it kind of it morphed into more of a lifestyle thing. And, and that's kind of what it is but now I, I've made it really a resource page for Morocco um, travel in Morocco and some of our ventures in other parts of the world too but it's it's about Morocco so all things food travel 
you know, what it's like raising kids. I'm, you know, I'm working on a post right now about like pregnancy and delivery in Morocco, like all these questions oh, wow. that people have just because there's really not a lot out there about it. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a really big tourist destination and people seem really curious. And the longer that I've done it, it's almost like in the U.S., we have this pioneer woman, she's called, she's a blogger, and she lives on a ranch in Oklahoma. And so people like her because they like her recipes, but they're also just like really interested in the lifestyle. Hmm. And I found that that in a lot of cases is what people are really interested in for us. Hmm. Because how many people do you know that live in Morocco and, <laughs> and write about it, you know? One. One, me. <laughs> you. <laughs> So I try to do a little bit of all of it. And I try to be like really candid and honest and open and not everybody likes that. But you know, I just I just want to be real. Like that's been my thing. Like I just want to be real, the good, the bad, the ugly. Love it. Love real. Bring on the real. I think this is great. Less flowers and poses and more authenticity, please. Yeah, exactly. Like I can, I kind of get tired, like Marrakesh is this destination, right? Like this luxury destination of beautiful buildings and da, 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 da. And it is that. But then like sometimes I see that, that those kinds of like posts on social media and I just want to be like, you know what? I want to post a picture of the garbage bins for you. Because like sometimes it's like this is not real. Like people assume that that is what life really is there, and they're like, "Oh, you live there. It's so glamorous. It's so luxurious. It's so this, that, and the next." Oh, wow. thing. Like, let me post a picture of me standing in line waiting for a stamp on a paper for two and a half hours. You know, like those kinds of things. And that's that. I mean, that's what it is. But you know, it's not. I'm not. I don't do, try to do it in a way that's like. Morocco sucks. <laughs> I want to do it in a way that's like no matter where you live. There are good things and there are bad things. And this is reality. I think it's really inspiring. And I wish more people would do that. I was having this chat the other day. I feel, especially in social media, it's easy to think that the world is a certain way and it's it's kind of picture perfect and, you know, polished mm-hmm. and lovely and paintbrushed. But mm-hmm. the real culture of something and, and the real quirkiness of another human soul or their personality it's not paintbrushed you know it's up and down it's crazy it's messy it's delightful it's this whole rich experience and I think that's it's beautiful to share you know yeah absolutely and I think you know as travelers we do a disservice to the rest of the world to only show the highlight reel if you will yeah you know because for the people that live there their reality is completely different than what you get to experience for three weeks or a week or what have you absolutely absolutely and you should have as a traveler the opportunity to see that Mm -hmm. and to experience it for yourself so that you actually touch the heart of that place and of that culture and don't just brush the surface absolutely yeah so the blog began however before when you were still in America am I right yeah and was it called Morocco Mama then was it about Morocco already it's always been called Morocco Mama and that but that was more of a thing to do with my kids because I wrote in the beginning about food but also about like raising a family in a like multicultural situation and then as my kids got a little bit older I stopped writing about that so much because they just wanted more privacy which is totally fair and something that I've always tried to respect so then it kind of shifted so it's gone through a couple different transformations but you know, I've got some diehard readers that have been with me since the like very beginning, which is so cool. And sometimes a little, I don't want to say odd, but maybe a little odd that they like know, you know, they know these things about you that <laughs> that you put out there, but you don't necessarily think everybody takes everything in. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. I really, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like my mom, when she came to Morocco, when the baby was born, she'd met somebody on a plane, I think, and they had been talking about Morocco and visiting. And the woman had told her that she had read my blog. She didn't know that it was my mom. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That my mom was like, oh, that's my daughter. (laughs) And then she started telling my mom all of these things about me and about us. And my mom was like, you know, it was like really cool because I was really proud of you. But at the same time, it was a little bit like, this is a stranger on a plane that knows all these things about you. Wow. Firstly, that's um, actually that's an incredible credit to you because it shows the depth of your work and how much it spreads um, and how the connection that it gives to other people. Like, you know, they're talking about it because they identify with it because you're giving them real value. And that's really, really a credit to you. Um, And I think the other thing that that you said, which is interesting, and I know for myself as a creator is sometimes I share things and I kind of I don't like I share them for people to of course, to read them or to consume them. But I don't really think about that in the moment of doing it. It's not as if we're having a conversation in real time right. where I have feedback from a human being. I just put it into this platform, be it Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or Spotify or whatever. And then I kind of, I don't forget about it, but I don't think that someone's listening to that. You know, I just was randomly chatting to a yoga teacher in Greece and um, I wanted to share this new mantra, this new uh, freedom mantra that I put up on Spotify recently Mm -hmm. uh, with her. And so I just sent her a message saying, hey, how are you doing? Um, Here's this song. I think you might like it. I wanted to share it with you. And she wrote back and she was like, I was just listening to this song on Spotify. And she screenshot it. She took a screenshot of her current playlist and my song was being played. It was halfway through. And I I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. So this is the power of that, the power of of connection, the power of giving something real and authentic, but also the power of the internet. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. It's really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm interested in, like, you said that the blog evolved over time and it went through a few different facelifts mm-hmm. uh, in that process of your evolution as a, as a businesswoman, as a mom. How did you refine what you were talking about or how did you make that decision? And, and also, how did your awareness of who your audience is change as you did that? You know, I think in the beginning, so in the beginning, it was purely... I lived on one coast of the U.S. My sister lived on the other coast and she'd always call me at really bad times to ask for recipes. And so that's how it started was that quit calling me at 10 o'clock at night for recipes. I'm just going to put them on this blog thing and then you can get the recipes that you want when you want them. So that's what it was. And then I started to see like, oh, this is interesting. Like people read this. People are interested in this. People are wanting to know more. They they, they get curious about, about us, about the kids, about life, all these things. So then I started sharing a bit more. Um, And this was just like, you know, the really early days of blogging. And then when we, what was, when when did I really start? I'm trying to think when I really started to take it a bit more seriously. So we were living in Washington, D.C., like I had said, and we decided that when our oldest was starting kindergarten, we didn't want to send them to schools there. So we decided we'd leave D.C. and go back to Wisconsin, which is where I'm originally from. This was like 2008, right? Like the height of the recession. Mm. And there truthfully was like no recession in Washington, D.C. So we didn't really realize what it was like in the rest of the country. 
So when we moved back to Wisconsin, I couldn't get a job. I, by then I had a master's degree, but I could, no one would hire me, like even yeah. the most basic things. And thankfully, my husband got a job, but it was just like, you know, really basic labor, but it was a job, right? Mm. So I was home with our youngest son, or the oldest son went to school, and I was like, I got to figure out a way to make money. So that was when I really started thinking, like, I, I know people are making money from their websites. I need to figure out how to do that. So I took probably, yeah, I mean, it was like six, eight months where I just like learned everything I could about social media, about marketing, about how, how people were making money online, how I could maybe make money online. Yeah. And I started applying it to my website. And it's also when I started to get, you know, a bit more serious about it and it became more than just a hobby. Yeah, so that was kind of like the really big shift from like hobby to business. And then when we ch- when we, when we decided to move to Morocco, that's when I made like the the last big shift where it's really like a full-fledged business where, you know, I have a content calendar and marketing goals and, you know, products that are for sale, you know, like where it's actually like yeah. generating enough revenue that it's a business. Um, yes. Yeah. It's always fascinating to hear how these things evolve and grow and, and what you said, the decision that you then made, okay, now this is going to be my business, like now I'm doing this. Um, and as you said, you took, what was it, eight or nine months to learn everything you could about making money online or specifically from a blog. And I know that a number of people in the audience listening are bloggers, um, be it hobby or professional. What three tips would you recommend for them? Or what three things do you think are critical? Like what do they have to do in order to, yeah, grow grow their audience and grow the people coming and reading their blog? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing like we were talking about is authenticity. Like a lot of people try to put on a different persona online than they are in person because they think either people won't like who they really are or who they really are isn't that interesting or it won't sell or what have you. And I just think that's wrong. For a couple of reasons. Mm. One, it's just not true because every person is unique and has something unique and interesting about them. And two, when you do get to a point where, you know, you might be recognizable, like if you're not the person that you are online, <laughs> you know, if, if somebody meets you in person and you're not the person that you are online, then then that just like completely violates the trust that you've built with your audience. Um, so that's the big tip I would say, one. Two, um, I know people get really overwhelmed. So I would say, uh, especially when it comes to social media, like pick one or two things that you like and use that as your main platform. Mm-hmm. If you really, really hate Twitter, don't be on Twitter. Like you don't have to be. If you really love Instagram, then that's, you know, dedicate your time and energy there to really get to know it, you know, go deep instead of wide. And then the third thing I would say is invest some time and or money if possible into either like a mastermind or finding a mentor that you can work with who can kind of Mm -hmm. give you direction. And I think it takes it takes a little bit of time to find the right person, but it can just be so helpful just to have someone else that you can, you know, bounce ideas off of and your frustrations and your questions because it can be kind of isolating when you work online too. Yeah, absolutely. And did you have a person like that for yourself? Yeah, like in the beginning, I, you know, I always sought out travel is a really cool space because there's people are kind of, you know, a lot more open than in other areas I've learned where they're you know, really friendly and outgoing and willing to share and, you know, that kind of thing. 
Um, so I was able to find a couple people and now I have a, I have a really good friend who's also a travel, um, travel blogger, writer, and she's mm-hmm. kind of my accountability partner. <laughs> we are to each other. So every day we check in, you know, what were your wins today? What are you struggling with? What are your challenges? How, you know, can you help me with this? Or what do you think about this? And that's fantastic. That's just been such a, such a blessing. That sounds incredible. I think this is really, really motivating to have a partner that you can bounce these ideas off of. And I love that you said accountability partner. Yeah, because otherwise you get, you know, there's so when you work for yourself, there's so much to do, right? Like it's so easy to get overwhelmed and to like have all, I don't know if you're like me, but um, you have all these ideas in your head and you think they're great ideas, but then you know, maybe you spend all this time and energy putting them out into the universe, <laughs> creating them, and then it turns that nobody else really thinks it was a great idea, and then you just feel defeated. So in that sense, you know, she's been great for that, where I can be like, what do you think about this? And she'll be like, yeah, I don't really think that that's, I don't really think you should spend your time doing that. Yeah, this is so important. Uh, actually, what you just said is, this is... Yes, what you just said, I'm highlighting and sticking on my wall because it's really true. When we create something as creatives, sometimes we get super excited about our idea and our inspiration and then just create something and throw all of our energy into it for God knows how long. And then we put it out into the world and then the world's like, meh. Yeah. And as you said, this can be incredibly defeating and unmotivating. Mm-hmm. So having someone to give you a little bit of perspective before investing all of that energy is critical. Yeah, absolutely. And there'll be sometimes where she'll say like, ah, I don't really think you should do that. And I'll be like, no, I think you're wrong. Like, I think I do think that that that's right. So I mean, I don't always like go with it, but just to have another opinion of someone that you trust that can say like, have you thought about this or didn't you do something you remember when you did something similar to this and it this is what happened or you told me that you didn't want to you know you didn't want to invest any more time into doing x y and z so why are you bringing it back up yes yeah yeah this accountability (laughs) as creative people this is hard for us time management and accountability Um, on time management, you know, you're three kids with a baby, uh, two businesses. And um, how do you manage your time? <laughs> well, we're still figuring that out right now. This is a bit of a shift right now. Before with just the, the two older ones, it was a little bit easier. But uh, we're still sorting this out. So I have I have help, which I think is really important for people to do. And that's been good. <laughs> Uh, I wish I had like a really solid answer for this, but I think the the biggest things to make it work are having help and asking for mm-hmm. help, which I think is really hard as women. We have a really hard time asking for help and saying, "Yep, you know what? I can't do this. I need I need you, whether it's your partner or you know a parent or outside help, whatever, someone to say I need help." So that's a big one. And then I think uh, another mentor of mine had said, because I was feeling really overwhelmed with this new baby and trying to figure out how it was going to go back to it. She said, you know what? Just do one thing a day. And if you do one thing a day for this, you know, in this time, then you'll at least feel like you're moving in the right direction and you're not stagnant, right? And then if you can do two things a day, that's fine. But just get the one thing done first. Yes. So I think those are my tips for survival right now. (laughs) I I like this. Amanda's Survival Tips 101. (laughs) This is the next blog post. (laughs) 
Um, why do you think it's hard for women to ask for help? I think that society plays a huge role in this, especially I feel like um, our generation of, mm. you know, our moms fought to like go to work and to do, you know, to have all of these rights and whatnot. And then for our generation, there was this whole sense that like, you can do everything and you can do everything, just not all at one time. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that you, we've been so conditioned to that belief that like, you can do anything, you can do everything that nobody ever told us, like, it's also okay that you, if you need help doing it. Yes. You know, when I look at like extended families in Morocco, um, for example, like, it's totally normal. Like you need someone to watch your kid. Okay. Well, your sister, your sister-in-law, your cousin or whoever, there's always somebody that can step up and will happily help without you even necessarily having to ask. But I find that in Western societies, that's really, I don't want, I mean, sometimes I I don't want to like broad brush stroke it and say that's always the case, but I find more often than not, it's harder because we just don't live together. We don't live near each other. We don't build communities. You might not ever meet your neighbors. You never, I mean, in the U.S., I would never go and ask my neighbor, hey, could you watch my kids for, you know, a half an hour while I run to the store? Even if I knew them, I wouldn't. Because why? You, you should be able to just run to the store and take your kids with you and just like handle it all. Yeah, this is really the culture of stress, how to be stressed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think you said something really um, strong about, the, the idea with community that yeah in in other cultures community is still there and the family unit is there and the extended family unit is there and it's really normal but in in western culture we're really just if we're lucky we're that we're like the the married family unit right and if not with them we're the single parent or the solo unit and, and we have to do it all or we feel that we have to do it all but we don't mm-hmm. absolutely yeah that's very, very true. So this has been an incredible conversation. I feel like I didn't even get to, like what I said before we started, I like you, you're so rich. There's so many incredible things that you do, which I'm very excited about and, and love to read and um, follow on Instagram and Facebook. And in one hour, there's only so much, there's only so much we can share. Aww. I feel like then there needs to be a follow-up, Amanda. Maybe we have to do a follow-up podcast too so that we can get more of the juju out. <laughs> Ask me in like six months after I sort out life with life with the baby, and then maybe I'll have a big thing to come back with. That's a good idea. Um, I have two more things I would love to share, or would love for you uh-huh. to share, because I they're important for me actually. Um, self doubt. I think that creatives, and especially creative women, really struggle with self doubt. Is this something you've ever had to struggle with yourself? Yes and no. Like I think that just given the the life situations that I found myself in from a really young age, it was like I'm gonna I'm gonna sh- prove people wrong. Yeah, and that's always been like a pretty big part of my personality. So you know, marrying someone from another culture that was a bit of a maligned culture at the time. You know, I had so many people who just said kind of awful things that I was like, you know what, I'm gonna prove you wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong. And then it just happened with everything else, right? Like you're going to work for yourself. That'll never work. Nope. You know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. So for me, personality wise, I think that the more people doubted what I could do, the more I was like, nope, you know what? You're wrong. And I'm going to show you that you're wrong. Mm, I love that. So using people's doubts and projections as your fuel for your fire. Exactly. Exactly. And I know it's not easy for everyone, but 
um, you know, I think just, you just have to take what other people say with a grain of salt. And what I found a lot of times is the people that are like the biggest, the loudest voices who, who want to, who want to put those seeds in your head are like, I don't even say jealous, but like, they're afraid too. like, they're putting the doubts in your head because they can't imagine doing it themselves. Yeah, I think it's their insecurity mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Final, final point, which is maybe the biggest point. If there is one piece of advice that you could leave the world with, what would it be? Mm. Just one piece of advice. You know, this is going to sound like really Pollyanna-ish, but I think that over time, the thing that I've learned and what's fueled everything that I've done, and how I parent and how I run my business and everything is just, be kind. Like, you know, like I we were saying, you don't know what somebody is going through. You don't know what impact you're going to have on the world. And even if you're, you think that, you know, maybe you're doing something where you don't have, you know, interaction with people, like how you treat people and what you put into the world really does make a difference. So just be, just be kind, just be good. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to know when episode five comes out next week. You'll find the show notes from today's episode, including Amanda's social info on onewomantribe.co. And by signing up to our community there, you get some exclusive tips from Amanda that weren't shared today. Plus, she's giving away a special offer to all of the people on the One Woman Tribe email list. So head on over to onewomantribe.co to get yours. That's it from me for now. May you go through your day inspired.